Amen. What an amazing worship time. Thank you so much, team. Everyone, you can take a seat. So good to be with you today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Anna. And earlier in the week, I was driving my children to school. And on the road that my children's school is on, it's quite narrow. And so if there are two cars parked on both sides of the road, only one car can get through. And on a busy school morning, this can be quite a hazard as there are parents going back and forth trying to drop their children to school. So I was driving my kids to school and there was this section of the road where two cars were parked, only one car could get through. And even though I got there first, I thought, look, I'll be a good Christian and I will let the other car coming the other way go through. So I pulled behind the car on the side of the road and I let a car go through. They didn't wave. I forgave them. But what I didn't realise as I let that car go through was that behind that car was a train of about nine cars coming on through who then just thought that I was happy to sit there and wait as they travelled through. So I'm watching these cars go through. I'm thinking, this is getting a bit ridiculous. I need to get to school. I'm going to be late. And so I thought, okay, I better sort of make my intentions clear. And so I started moving a little bit more forward to try to stop this train of cars coming through. So as I'm moving forward, I'm thinking, this could end in a head-on, but I need to just be confident and keep going forward. Anyway, finally, a good Samaritan came along. And someone stopped for me on the other side of the road. So as I went through, I was determined to right my wrong and I waved at the person. And who did I see sitting behind the wheel, smiling broadly at me on that beautiful Monday morning? But the one and only Pastor Ben Sattler. And so I just want to share with you today that our pastor doesn't just talk the talk, people. He walks the walks. Whatever he preached on Sunday morning, he lived it out on Monday morning and he helped me get to school on time. So thank you, Pastor Ben, for your generosity. He did say that it was a near head-on, but uh, I was grateful that he was kind and let me through. So this morning, we are talking about prayer. So let me pray to begin. Lord God, we thank you that you care about every aspect of our lives. We thank you that you call us to approach your throne of grace with confidence, that we can boldly come to you with our requests. And so, Lord God, knowing that you are mighty and you are good, gracious and kind, we ask that you transform us into people of prayer today. Deepen our connection with you. May we be earnest prayers. May we know how to speak with you all day, unceasingly. Take us into a deeper connection with you, O oh God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. In Mark chapter 9, the disciples were arguing with the religious leaders. And Jesus walks up and he wants to know what's going on. And so a father comes up to him and tells him his story. The father tells Jesus how ever since his son was born, he has been possessed by a demon. The demon, he says, would throw his boy to the ground. It would make him grind his teeth and froth at the mouth. He would become rigid in his body. Sometimes, the father said, the demon would throw the boy into the fire, trying to destroy him. 
And so the father says, I took my boy to your disciples. But they couldn't heal him. Jesus bemoans the lack of faith in this generation and he asks for the boy to be brought to him. Jesus casts the demon out of this boy. People thought that he was dead, but Jesus takes this boy by the hand. He lifts him up and he goes away healed. Later on, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, why, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus says these profound words. This kind can only be cast out by prayer. Jesus was reminding us of the power of prayer. See, sometimes prayer can be a bit of a last resort. We're watching this show about, called Quarterbacks on Netflix, and it's all about American football. And these quarterbacks always wait until the very end of the game, when they're a little bit down or the, the scores are tied, when they've tried every other option and they think, now is the time that I need to pray. Now is the time that I need some divine intervention. They don't pray when it's a clear win. They don't pray in the first quarter. They pray as a last resort. But as the people of God, we need to remember the power of prayer. And we need to remember that prayer shouldn't be our last resort. Prayer should be our first resort. And as you know, we are doing a series on foundations of faith. Ben kicked us off last week looking at what would it look like if our lives were integrated with the Word? What would it look like if our lives were built on the foundation of the Bible and God's Word? And this week, we want to look at prayer. What would it look like to be people of prayer? Now, prayer is such a huge topic. I'm sure hundreds, if not thousands of books have been written about it. And so today, I just want to share with you four things that I have found convicting as I have looked at this idea. So the first thing is that when you look through the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's clear that the people of God prayed now, perhaps that's a very obvious place to start. But when you look at the patriarchs, the prophets, the apostles, Jesus himself, again and again, we see that these men and women of God called out to the Lord for help. They prayed. Whether it's Abraham or Isaac or Hannah or Samuel or Nehemiah or Solomon or Gideon, all throughout the Old Testament, God's people prayed. When we look at the life of Jesus, prayer is a part of his everyday life. We see him pray short prayers, long prayers, into medium prayers. We see Jesus praying when things are going well and when things are going bad. He prays in moments of distress and in moments of delight. He prays in moments of desperation and in moments of joy. The people of God prayed. Of course, we know that Jesus taught the disciples how to pray with the Lord's Prayer. And we see this continuing in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, it says that they all join together constantly in prayer. In the next chapter, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. In fact, all throughout Acts, we can see that the miracles that God was doing, releasing Paul from prison, healing people, bringing people to Christ, were all built on a foundation of prayer. The people of God 
prayed. As we wade and journey into the New Testament, this theme continues. In almost every single one of the books that the Apostle Paul writes, he begins and ends in encouraging the people to pray and praying for them himself. In Romans, Paul writes, God is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. In Ephesians, he writes, ever since I heard about you, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering in my, you in my prayers. He encourages the Ephesian church to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert, he says, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I'll keep going. In Philippians, he writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. In Colossians, Paul writes, we always thank God the Father when we pray for you. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. He encourages the church to devote yourselves to prayer. In 1 Thessalonians, he writes, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In 1 Timothy, he says, I urge you that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. I could go on 2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy, 2 Thessalonians, Philemon. The point is that God's people prayed. The list of people that the Apostle Paul must have been praying for would be longer than his arm. He would have been honest when he said, I was praying constantly because he had so many people to pray for. And as the people of God, there is much work to be done. There are people who are lost who need to be found. There are people who are lonely who need comfort. There are children who need to come home. There are people who are suffering who need to be healed. There are people who are unreached who need to hear the gospel. There are gospel workers who need to be strengthened. There are leaders who need wisdom. There are mums and dads who need strength. There are marriages that need to be healed. There are children who need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. There is much work to be done. And we have the tools in our hands. Just like that, we can step into the throne room of God and boldly approach the throne of grace. God says, do not worry about anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We need to be people who pray. One of the negatives of having our phone and social media is that it is always available. So whether we are standing in a queue for coffee or waiting in an, for an appointment, we can always fill our moments with our phone. There is never a dull moment. There is always a news article to read, people's posts to scroll through, social media to look at. But what happens is that instead of filling our moments with prayer, we fill them with people's posts. And it's time to start filling our waiting with stepping into the throne room of grace. When we're sitting in the car, when we're waiting in the appointment room, when we're standing in the queue and we're on the ground playing with our children, let's capture those moments and redeem them to our God. 
Let's pray for the person in front of them. Let's pray for the person beside them. Let's pray for our children, for our marriages, for our neighbor, for ourselves. We are so desperate in need of God's help. Let's capture those moments and fill them with prayer. Let's be people who pray. George Muller, you can put his photo on the screen, was a man who lived in the 1800s. And over his lifetime, he cared for over 10,000 orphans. He built a number, he built hundreds of orphanages and established over 120 schools offering Christian education to more than 120,000 students. But what was fascinating about George Muller, as you read his biography, is that a week rarely went by where he had enough money in the bank account to last the week. And that was just not for himself. That was to provide for these thousands of children in his care. As you read his diary, it is a daily occurrence that he wakes up and he's told by the staff that the bread and the milk were going to be run out by 3 p.m. that afternoon. There was not enough money to buy dinner for the hundreds of children in their care. It almost becomes a bit repetitive. He wakes up and hears the news and fights the fear and the doubt that God won't come through. He wakes up and he prays. He petitions the Lord to provide. Then he goes to his staff meeting and they pray. And they do the breakfast serving to these hundreds of children across many different orphanages across the city. They do the lunch service to these children across many different orphanages across the city. He gets the report that the last cup of milk has been poured. The last slice of bread has been given out. And then every single time, God would come through. A check would come in the mail. An unplanned delivery would turn up at the door. The phone would ring with someone ready to give a donation. The staff would receive the money and all across the city of London, they'd run out and buy more milk and bread for these children. George Muller testified that in his life, a child never went without. But he daily required God to provide for him. He daily required him to bring in what was needed. There was no margin. There was no safety blanket. There was no savings to draw upon. Every day he needed to pray to God to provide. And he did. George Muller's life was a life full of prayer. And because of that, it was a life full of miracles. Imagine what could happen if we become people of prayer. Imagine how our own lives and families and communities could be transformed by relying on God to move and work in ourselves, in our families and our community. Let's be people of prayer. Now, as you look through the prayers in the Bible, the people of God didn't just pray. They prayed with praise. When you look at the prayers of God's people, there's so many examples, but King Hezekiah is desperate before God. There is an army who is threatening to attack God's people. They are knocking on the door. And yet instead of Hezekiah throwing himself before the Lord and asking for his help, he starts with praise. He says in 1 Kings, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the angels, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made 
heaven and earth. In chapter 9, Daniel prays when he's under intense pressure, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Hannah in 1 Samuel 2.2 says, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Solomon in 1 Kings 8.22 says, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or in earth below, you who keep your covenant of love. Even Jeremiah, when he is bringing a complaint to God, says, you are always righteous, Lord, when I have a case to bring before you. Of course, Jesus himself continues this theme when he teaches his disciples how to pray. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He starts with praise. The disciples, when they were faced with great persecution, prayed the same way. Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea in everything in them. Now, in each of these examples, all the people of God had a specific request, a specific need. They weren't just praying for the fun of it. They were desperate before God, but they started with praise. Why? Because praise changes our perspective. When we start with who God is, suddenly what we're asking for changes. When we remember that God is our Father, a good Father who wants to, us to come to Him as children, a good Father who, when we ask for bread, is not going to give us a snake. If we remember that this is the mighty God who created the heavens and the earth, who split the Red Sea, who stilled the storm, who made the walls of Jericho fall, that we know that he is able. When we praise him, we remember that this is Jireh, our provider. Jehovah Jireh, who knows if he clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the birds of the air, how much more will he provide for his children? Jehovah Jireh who says, do not worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be given to you. When we start with praise, he changes our perspective. The people of God pray and they pray with praise. But they also pray on his promise. Now, if you don't include saying grace before our meal... 99% of my children's prayers are in order for them to find something. They lose a piece of Lego, they've lost some kind of toy in their messy room, and so they pray to God for help. So we're still working on their theology, but it's great that they're praying. And they have an incredible strike rate. My five-year-old Judah had lost this tiny silver screw in our backyard in unmowed lawn. And as can often happen with children, at that very point in time that he dropped it, he suddenly decided that that was the most precious thing in all the earth to him and he could not go on without it. And so, as a mother does, I'm on my hands and knees looking through the lawn for a tiny silver screw, which we could not find. We looked for about 10 minutes until Judah said, Dear God, please help me find the screw. Of course... A second later, oh, there it is. He picks it up. <laughs> but the, just last Friday, we had been at Coles and 
I have a love-hate relationship with the Coles builders. Any parents resonate with that? At the moment, they're giving Pokemon things away. And so we'd gone to Coles, we'd gotten the Pokemon, we'd made sure that they were evenly split between all three children. And we'd gotten back into the car Friday afternoon, driven home. And when we'd gotten home, again, due to the five-year-old, had realised that one of his Pokemon was missing. As per usual, life could not go on without this Pokemon and he was inconsolable unless we found it. So once we had established that we didn't think we'd left it at the shop, it was the, the search was on. Now, if anyone knows me and knows my car, clean is not the word that you would use to describe it. And so there we are on Friday afternoon when I really just wanted to go inside, start cooking dinner and end the week. The search for the Pokemon in my messy car began. We were lifting up seats. We were removing rubbish. I took every single soccer ball, jumper, spare towel, swimming bag from my boot so that we could lift up the boot to see if the Pokemon had slipped down the side of the chair. I was getting increasingly exasperated. I had to take some of the cold stuff into the grocery, into the inside. And so I came back out and Judah said to me, Mummy, I'm praying, but God is not answering my prayer. He'd had such a good success rate from before. I thought God was like this vending machine. And I'm in a bit of a huff, not as patient as I want to be and thinking, well, I'm not going to pray for your Pokemon. And then I remembered that in just over a week, I would be standing up here before you preaching on prayer. And so I thought, okay, I better pray. But I thought, I paused for a moment. I thought, I don't really want to pray for the Pokemon. (laughs) But what I did want to pray was that my five-year-old would know that God cares about every aspect of his life. That my five-year-old would learn that God is always listening, whether we pray a prayer of three words or 30 words or 300 words. I wanted Judah to have these moments in his life, these tiny threads that would bind together for him to have an understanding of who God is, that he would grow into a deeper relationship with him and understand him as a personal God who loved him, that he could go to him, that he was always with him in thick or thin, that he would come to know Jesus as his saviour who died and rose again and that God would change me in that moment as well to have patience with my children. And so that was the prayer that I prayed. I wasn't sure if God was going to find the Pokemon, but I did know that he would answer that prayer whether we found the Pokemon or not. (laughs) Because God wants us to know him better. He wants us to grow in relationship with him and he wants to glorify himself. And as I prayed that prayer built on the promise of God, in that moment in my messy car, he changed my heart. And as I said amen in the way that only my five-year-old could say, oh, there it is. As if we hadn't been looking for the last 25 minutes and I was visibly sweaty from getting so many things out of my car looking for a cardboard thing from Coles. God found the Pokemon for Judah. Now he will need to learn that God doesn't always answer our prayer like that. And I'm sure all of us can testify to those unanswered prayers that we won't understand until we get to heaven. The brokenness and the pain of not understanding those purposes of God will continue. But as we look throughout the Bible, God's people don't just pray with their requests. They pray on the promises of God. If you look at the prayers of Abraham, he is constantly going back to the covenant and the promise that God gave to him. 
If you look at Jacob, there is a certain moment in time in Genesis 32 when Jacob is being pursued by his brother. If Jacob was submitting a prayer request to City Church, it would say, pray that my brother doesn't kill me. Ilsaw was pursuing him. He had a very desperate need. But when he prays, he doesn't go straight to his request. Have a look at how he prays. He starts off with God. He says, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who spoke to me, O Yahweh. Then he brings his request, please deliver me from the hand of my brother. But he puts it in the context of the promises of God. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea. Jacob asked God to do what he has already promised to do. Moses does the same. He asked God to let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised. Again and again, the people of God ask God to do what he has already promised to do. So what does this mean for us? We can't stand on the promises of Abraham or King David that he's going to make us prosper, that he's going to make our name great. But we can stand on the promises that he has given us. See, God has promised us that if we pray for him to be glorified, he will answer his prayer. He has promised that if we pray to know him better, he will answer that prayer. He has promised that if we ask him to give us wisdom, then he will answer that prayer. If we ask him for strength, he will answer that prayer. If we ask him to spread the gospel, he will answer that prayer. When you look at that list on the screen, that shouldn't restrict your prayers. That should be a stake in the ground that you know as you voice those prayers to the Lord, God will answer them. He will glorify himself. He will help us to know him better. He will give us wisdom and strength when he need it. And his word will spread throughout the world. And he will be glorified and honoured among all people. That is why we are called to pray on the foundation of his promises. We're called to pray with praise in his promises and in his purpose. Now, about four years ago, three police officers turned up at my door. I was at home with my two toddler children, pregnant with my third, opened the door to three police officers. And they told me that I had been accused of reversing into someone and then fleeing the scene. Now, my husband said, are you sure you didn't just forget that you did that? <laughs> no, babe, I didn't. Thanks. <laughs> now, I, there's lots of detail to this story. If you want the three-hour version, come chat to me later. But I was innocent of this accusation. But what began on that day was a three-year process in trying to prove my innocence. And what unraveled was that it was actually quite challenging, ironically, to prove that I hadn't done this crime that I had been accused of. It got delayed because of COVID. I had to go to court three times. It was this ongoing saga. And of course, it was one of the center pieces of my prayer. And it was fascinating reflecting on how my prayers changed through that journey. At the beginning, I was angry. I was outraged. How dare I be accused of something I didn't do? 
But over time, my prayers began to journey. I began to get an insight. It was such a small thing, but I, I got a very tiny insight into what it felt like to be accused of something you didn't do. I thought of Jesus, who lived an innocent, perfect life, but was punished to the death because of our sin and not his own. I thought of all the Christians around the world imprisoned because not they've done something wrong, but because of the very name of Jesus. Again and again, I went through this process. Many times I sat in court. I remember sitting there a whole eight hours with a newborn baby waiting and my case was never heard. They said, oh, we'll reschedule it for a couple of months. Month after month, this thing hung on my shoulders as I continued to petition to the Lord. It took about two and a half years until I finally got to the point where I thought, you know what? If they find me guilty, I'll be okay because I'm innocent before God. (laughs) He knows the truth. What is man? We have a standing before the Lord. And God had brought me to a place of surrender in that burden that I had been carrying. He brought me into alignment with his will where I was able to say, regardless of what the courts say, regardless of what the legal system says, regardless of what those particularly mean police officers were saying about me, I stood righteous before God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I stood behind him and what he had done for me. Finally, the final court day was set. It was meant to be in September of 2023. It was only a few months away and I can distinctly remember I was driving down the Great Western Highway and I took the exit to go up to Springwood. Some of you will know the road. Sitting in traffic, driving up there and I got a phone call from the charging officer had the, phone, the number saved in my phone. Hello, Sarah. This is Anna speaking. Hello, Anna. Just calling to say that the charges have been dropped. The charges have been dropped? Yes. Do I? No, you don't need to go to court anymore. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Anna. After three and a half years with probably hundreds of prayers prayed up to God. Just like that, the charges were dropped. There were a thousand questions I wanted to ask, which I still don't know, and maybe I will ask in heaven. I kind of wanted to hang up quickly so that I could just like, it's done, the conversation's over. (laughs) But in that situation, God wanted me to surrender to his will. He could have answered the, the prayer the very first time I prayed. He could have answered it the day after the police officers came to my house. He could have answered it the, when I sat in court the first, the second or the third time. But he answered it after he had changed my heart, after I'd gotten to the point where my will had been aligned to God's purpose. And that is the power of prayer. That is the power of praising God and remembering who he is. That is the power of aligning ourselves with his promises. And that is the power of remembering that his ways are high above our ways. His thoughts are high above our thoughts and his purposes are high above our purposes. Jesus said, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray, let your heart be transformed to the purposes of God. Because sometimes what we think we want, whether it's finding a Pokemon or getting, getting a, a not, an innocent plea in court, isn't actually what we want. What we want is more of God, him to change us and transform us. And sometimes the reason he won't answer our prayers is because he's not done his work in us yet. And so the more that we can humble and surrender ourselves to him, the more he will do that. 
and fill us up with his joy and his goodness and his strength. Jesus himself in the garden of Gethsemane, in those despairing moments before he went to the cross, as he sweated drops of blood, he cried out, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. May that be our prayer. God's will be done in our lives. So let's be people of prayer. Let's come before the Father every moment, every second, in the short moments, in the long moments. Let's capture those moments. Let's not fill up our moments with people's posts. Let's fill them up with prayer. Let's bring praise to our mighty God. Let's stand on the promises that he has given us to glorify himself, to strengthen us, to bring us peace and comfort, to spread his word around the world. And let's align ourselves to his purpose. In Revelation, John is given an image of what heaven is like. And he sees these angels carrying bowls of incense to the throne. And he's told that those bowls of incense are the prayers of God's people. Every time you pray, it's like a fresh bowl of incense taken to the throne of God, sweet smelling to our Lord. So let's make those angels work. Let's make them have to carry many, many bowls flowing from Mount Riverview up to the throne of God. And let's see God move as we pray in line with his purposes and his plan. Let him humble us and see us glorify him as we see him at work across the world. Let us pray and be transformed so that our world may know Jesus. In God's mighty name, amen.